Hello and welcome to Tiff Totally. This is going to be the final part of the adult animation segment. Um, so moving right along, we're going to kick things off with Squidbillies. And the Squidbillies has been on since 2005 and it is still on today. The series is about the Quiler family, an impoverished family of anthropomorphic hillbilly mud squids living in the Georgia region of the Blue Ridge Mountains. The series revolves around the exploits of an alcoholic father who is often abusive in a comedic way towards his family. His teenage son, Rusty, is desperate for his approval. His mother and grandmother, known in the show as Granny, is often the center of his aggression. And Lil, early sister, is mostly unconscious in a pool of her own vomit. Squidbillies follows the exploits of the Quiler family and their interactions with the local populace, which usually results in a fair amount of destruction, mutilation, and death. The Quilers are essentially given free reign and protected from the consequences of their actions whenever possible by their crudely drawn friend, the Sheriff, whose name is Sharif, as they are said to be the last twisted remnants of a federally protected endangered species, the Appalachian Mud Squid. They live in the southern Appalachian Mountains, located in the North Georgia Mountains. At the epicenter of this rural paradise is Dugal County, home to crippling gambling addictions, a murderous corporation, sexual deviance, and the authentic southern mountain squid. In the words of the New York Times, the show takes backward stereotypes and turns them into a cudgel with which to pound maniacally on all manner of topical subjects. And here's an article from TV Line written by Dave Nemitz last year in August. Squidbilly star Stuart Baker fired for extremely offensive Facebook posts. Squidbilly star Stuart Baker, who voices dad early Quiler on the Adult Swim animated comedy, has been fired after posting a number of incendiary statements on Facebook. Baker, who goes by the stage name Unknown Hinson, called Dolly Parton a freak-titted old southern bimbo and a slut after the country singer voiced support for the Black Lives Matter movement per our sister site Variety. He went on to tell his liberal fans to unfollow me, please because I don't want you un-Americans around. Have fun forsaking your own race, culture, and heritage. Squidbillies creators Jim Fortier and Dave Willis announced Baker's firing in a tweet on the show's official Twitter handle, were aware of the extremely offensive and derogatory social media posts made late last week by Stuart D. Baker. The views he expressed do not reflect our own personal values or the values of the show that we and many others have worked hard to produce over the past 15 years. For those reasons, production of Squidbillies will continue without Mr. Baker effective immediately. Debuting back in 2005 on Adult Swim, Squidbillies follows father and son Mud Squids Early and Rusty who live in the Georgia backwoods. The show often touches on topical political subjects, including a 2016 episode that saw early rage against a local Confederate flag ban and join a Southern Heritage group. 
Squidbillies has been renewed for a 13th season. So, yeah, you know, it's sometimes I used to look at this as the fact that, you know, people are entitled to their own beliefs. And it is very true. But at the same time, those derogatory comments, and I suppose when you believe what you believe and you feel like you have the right to say what you want to say, you don't realize that the derogatory comments are derogatory. That or you just don't care. And so, you know, I feel like when people absolutely have the right to believe what they want, you know, it's the problem is, is I feel like a lot of us know what should and shouldn't be said. I mean, like, that's just as grown adults, we we know better. We do. But I think a lot of us, when it comes to politics, especially you know, you're so hardcore and believe in what you want that the actions and statements that you make can get you in a lot of trouble. And so, you know, it doesn't matter if you're independent, Republican, Democrat, like it, it, to me, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you can respect what everybody believes and you don't go you know, disrespecting other people because that's just, it doesn't make you any better than anybody. So, you know, it's unfortunate when people let politics and, you know, their racist comments get in the way of their life. But at the same time, you know, it is what it is. You have to maintain. I feel like as a celebrity, especially, it's really important that you try to maintain a good image, which can be hard to do, I guess, for a lot of celebrities. But, you know, you have a lot of people that are following you, idolizing you, watching your every move. And it's just really important to maintain that positive role model image. So next up is a show that I really love and I haven't watched it in years. Um, but I just, I think it's so funny. It's one of those parody shows that even when they make fun of something that you truly like, to me, it's just, it's funny. Like just because it, it just is. And we're talking about Robot Chicken, which has been on since 2005. Robot Chicken is an American adult animated stop-motion sketch comedy television series created and executive produced by Seth Green and Matthew Seinrich, along with co-head writers Douglas Goldstein and Tom Root. The writers, most prominently Green, also provide many of the voices. Seinrich, Goldstein, and Root were formerly writers for the popular action figure hobbyist magazine Toy Fair, Robot Chicken has won two Annie Awards and six Emmy Awards. Robot Chicken was conceptually preceded by Twisted Toy Fair Theater, a humor humorous photo comic strip appearing in Toy Fair the Toy Magazine. The show's name was inspired by a dish on the menu at a West Hollywood Chinese restaurant, Kung Pao Bistro, where Green and Seinrich had dined. The series originally was intended to be called Junk in the Trunk. The show was created, written, and produced by Seth Green and Matthew Seinrich, and produced by Stupid Buddy Studios, Shadow Machine Films, Seasons 1 through 5, in association with Stupid Monkey, William Street, and Sony Pictures Television. 
The series first appeared as Sweet Jay Presents on the Sony website ScreenBlast.com in 2001. In the first episode, Conan's Big Fun, Conan O'Brien was a featured character voiced by Family Guy creator Seth MacFarlane. Sweet Jay Presents ended after 12 episodes and moved to Cartoon Network's Adult Swim in 2005 as Robot Chicken, premiering on February 20, 2005. Some television networks and sketch shows rejected Robot Chicken, including Comedy Central, Mad TV, Saturday Night Live, and even Cartoon Network. However, someone at Cartoon Network passed the pitch along to Adult Swim around the same time that Seth MacFarlane told Seth Green and Matthew Seinrich to pitch the show to Adult Swim. The show mocks popular culture, referencing toys, movies, television, games, popular fads, and more obscure references like anime cartoons and older television programs, much in the same vein as comedy sketch shows like Saturday Night Live. It employs stop-motion animation of toys, action figures, claymation, and various other objects such as tongue depressors, the Game of Life pegs, and popsicle sticks. One particular motif involves the idea of fantastical characters being placed in a more realistic world or situation, such as Stretch Armstrong requiring a corn syrup transplant after losing his abilities because of aging, Optimus Prime performing a prostate cancer PSA for the humans, and Godzilla having problems in the bedroom. The program aired a 30-minute episode dedicated to Star Wars, which premiered on June 17, 2007, in the U.S., featuring the voices of Star Wars notables George Lucas, Mark Hamill, Billy D. Williams, and Ahmed Best. The Star Wars episode was nominated for a 2008 Emmy Award as Outstanding Animated Program for Programming Less Than One Hour. The series was renewed for a 20-episode third season, which ran from August 2007 to October 2008. After an eight-month hiatus during the third season, the show returned in September of 2008 to, to air the remaining five episodes. The series was renewed for a fourth season, which premiered in December of 2008 and ended in September of 2009. In early 2010, the show was renewed for a fifth and sixth season, 40 more episodes total. Season 5 premiered in December 2010. The second group of episodes began broadcasting in October of 2011. The 100th episode aired on January 15, 2012, and in May 2012, Adult Swim announced they were picking up a sixth season of Robot Chicken, which began airing in September of that year. The seventh season premiered in April of 2014, season 8 in October 2015, season 9 in December of 2017, season 10 in September 2019, and a five-month hiatus during the 10th season, the show returned on June 28, 2020 to air the remaining eight episodes with the 200th episode. Season 11 is scheduled to premiere in September of 2021. Following the 2020 cancellation of the Venture Brothers, it is Adult Swim's longest-running series, both in terms of years and episodes. While Robot Chicken uses a variety of famous real people and fictional characters, it, is, it also has original characters created exclusively for the show. 
Robot Chicken, vocal effects by Seth Green, is the show's titular character. He is a cyborg chicken with a red laser eye. First seen as a roadkill chicken on Highway 9W while he originally lived on Old Man McLaughlin's farm, the mad scientist revived him as a cyborg and experiments on him by forcing him to watch sketches on numerous TV monitors. In the 100th episode, he gets freed by a maid and later kills his creator after he kidnaps his wife. He later revived the mad scientist as a cyborg and reverses the roles, forcing him to watch sketches. Cluckerella is the robot chicken's wife. She wears a dress and has blonde hair and red lipstick. She gets kidnapped by the mad scientist during the 100th episode, causing the robot chicken to go to the scientist's lab and kill him to rescue her. In the season 7 finale, it is revealed that Cluckerella has left. The mad scientist is voiced by Les Claypool for the laughter and line in the opening and David Lynch for the speaking voice in the season 10 finale. A scientist to revive the robot chicken. He has a wild white hair and a diabolical grin. Starting with season 3, his real name is revealed to be Fritz Hunmorter, which is German for chicken murderer, which is seen at the gravestone in the season premiere. He was killed by the robot chicken after the events of the 100th episode, only for him to be revived as a cyborg in the sixth season opening sequence, and then gets his revenge by forcing the scientists to watch the same sketches that he had previously forced the robot chicken to watch. In the season 10 episode, Fila Ogden in Maggie's Got a Full Load with the Saturday Night Live styled opening. It says the mad scientist's name is Rick Sanchez, which is strangely named after another Adult Swim mad scientist character due to his resemblance to the same character. The mad scientist's son is voiced by Zachary Levi, and it, he is the scientist's 32-year-old twisted son who steals his cyborg-making tools as part of a plot to kidnap all living U.S. presidents for ransom. However, he ends up being defeated by the robot chicken and the mad scientist, who then forces to watch the sketches as punishment. According to the script of the season 7 finale, it revealed his real name is Tony Hun Mortar Anderson. The nerd is a 26-year-old nerdy man with square frame glasses who lisps. He appears in many episodes and often ends up in wild situations in famous media. Although his name was mentioned as Gary in the season 1 episode Joint Point, commercials for some later episodes give his name as Arthur Kensington Jr. He dies in the season 9 finale, only for him to get revived as a cyborg in the 10th season's opening sequence. Despite the nerd as being as a cyborg to watch the same sketches until the end of season 10, his live appearance was still used in the sketches. Bitch Pudding is voiced by Katie Sackoff, a fictitious addition to the Strawberry Shortcake universe. Bitch Pudding is a foul-mouthed, crass, and violent 18-year-old woman and the former resident of Pastryville who has a penchant for insulting, tormenting, and sometimes even killing others. In Season 7, she became the first of the series' recurring characters to have their own special titled The Bitch Pudding Special. 
Unicorn is voiced by George Lowe and is a white homosexual unicorn who is a complete pervert. In his debut appearance in the season 2 episode, Suck It, he appears before the nerd who had just daydreamed about unicorns being real. When his magic horn is polished, it gives magical unicorn mayonnaise. Molar Eternian Dentist is voiced by Michael Ian Black and is a a fictional addition to the cast for the show's Master of the Universe parodies. Molar is the resident dentist of Eternia. He is willing to resort to drastic measures in order to perform his dental work on unwilling patients such as Skeletor, even going so far as to ensnare Beast Man in dental floss and a stick a dental drill into Grizzler's eye. In the season 5 episode, Terms of in Daredevil, his real name is revealed to be Mole Lairstein. Composite Santa Claus is voiced by Christian Slater and is a genocidal monster who is half Santa Claus, half Snowman, and is based on Composite Superman. In the season 4 episode in a DVD factory, his backstory is revealed. He has been created by a diabolical scientist from the combined DNA of Santa and Frosty the Snowman. After he awakens, he shoots the scientist and his two assistants with an automatic rifle, killing the latter two, and goes on a rampage, waging war on all non-Gentile religions. The Little Drummer Boy is an anime-style drummer whose drums can summon demons when beaten. Humping Robot is a mute robot looking for love who was first seen humping a washing machine. He has also been seen humping church bells, jukeboxes, and slot machines, among other metallic objects. Daniel, a.k.a. Gyro Robo, is a negative-minded teenage nerd who hosts a web series entitled The Gyro Robo News Hour, where he complains about inaccuracies in media, and not even Robot Chicken is immune from his criticism. He masturbates frequently and is often targeted by the local bully Munson. And Munson is voiced by Brecken Mayer and is a jerkish teenager who bullies nerds, especially Daniel. Gary the Stormtrooper is voiced by Donald Faison and is a fictional addition to the cast for the show Star Wars parodies. Gary is a clumsy, bit incompetent, and well-meaning 29-year-old Stormtrooper who is a resident of the Death Star and usually messes things up due to his clumsiness. Despite that, he is able to make his work right. The Aliens are voiced by Seth Green, Breckenmeyer, Adam Talbot, Mark Hamill, Patrick Penny, and Patrick Stewart, and they are a race of wacky gray aliens who have a tendency to bungle their plans and efforts, usually resulting in them letting out a frustrated scream of, Damn it! Damn it! Damn it! And the Bloopers host is voiced by Jamie Kaler, and... The host of the blooper sketches, which is parodies the early years of America's Funniest Home Videos, substituting home videos for humorous television and film outtakes, although home videos have been shown on two occasions, the later of which are from his own life. At the end of almost every sketch he appears in, he commits suicide in various ways, including hanging himself, swallowing whiskey and pills, putting a toaster in a bathtub, and suffocating himself with a plastic bag. And from BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed sat down with the makers of the show to talk about how the stop-motion animation game is changing. 
Stupid Buddy Studios in Burbank, California is the creative team that brings you stop-motion shows like Robot Chicken and Supermansion. BuzzFeed sat down with studio co-founders and Robot Chicken executive producers John Harv Harvatine and Eric Towner, along with the show's head writer Tom Root and writer-director Tom Shepard, and here's what we learned. They're always fighting gravity. One of the biggest challenges for the team is just the laws of nature. Whenever a character is standing up or jumping, you're always rigging up the puppet in midair, said Shepard. Even when the characters aren't in midair, gravity can still be an issue. There's all sorts of situations where you wrap at the end of the day and then by the next day the puppets have all sort of collapsed, Root said. They don't have a house style. We love experimenting and exploring new visuals, Towner said. There isn't really a house style. Ardman Animations has a very Ardman look. Leica Studios has a very Leica look. A lot of our stuff looks different, but there's a common sense of humor. It takes a team of about 200 people to make Robot Chicken. A lot of the stuff looks like found objects instead of manufactured puppets, Root said of the Robot Chicken aesthetic. We embrace a lot of the handmade nature of things. Robot Chicken looks like it could be made in your garage or basement, but it takes a team of 200 people. They're aware you might be high when you're watching. In fact, Root thinks that might make the show's aesthetic friendlier. I wonder if the charming nature of the, visual, of the visuals are what make it so compelling to viewers who are watching late at night in various chemically altered states, he said, and something more polished might not catch their eye. A 45-second shot is incredibly long. It can take one animator all day to film roughly six seconds of footage, depending on how much action there is. So a longer sketch that has to use a continuous shot and can take a really long time, and considering the whole gravity thing, the team avoids starting these types of shots toward the end of the day. They basically had a casting call for goldfish crackers. Stupid Buddy Studios does a lot of commercials in addition to shows like Robot Chicken and Supermansion, and their Goldfish commercial showed how strange the stop-motion process can be. You would go through maybe 10 bags of goldfish to find five hero gold, goldfish that were the perfect amount of saltiness and the right shape, Towner said. It was intense and delicious. There are some sets they use over and over. Just like a live-action studio, Stupid Buddy has a number of standing sets that they keep up and reuse for different scenes, dressing the set differently and shooting from different angles to change the look. So if you see a scene on a city block, in a forest, or in a bathroom, chances are you might have seen that same set in a previous episode. About half of the stuff in Robot Chicken is modified toys that already exist, and the rest is made from scratch. Root estimates that about 50% of the characters in Robot Chicken are modified from existing action figures like the Street Sharks, like the Street Sharks. The rest are built from the bottom up. The writing process is really tough. There's a team of six writers in the room who are coming up with really funny stuff, and then ultimately it gets voted on by Tom Root, Doug Goldstein, Matt Seinrich, and Seth Green, said Towner. A lot of stuff gets rejected, so, so there's this very, what would you call it, not democratic, what's the opposite? 
I thought you were going to say undercurrent of rage, joked Shepard. Have you seen Lord of the Flies, added Root? It's like that. They don't always love the sketches that go to air. We're not even allowed to confer about what we're voting on, explained Root. So there's no controlling what gets through, and sometimes we really regret what gets through. We just aired an episode where a town crier is ringing a bell, and instead of saying the British are coming or whatever, he says, Hear ye, hear ye, bell for sale. And a guy skips in and says, Two bucks, and the guy says, Sold, added Shepard. I don't know how that thing made it all the way through. Almost every sketch needs at least some digital work because of rigs. Much of the time, characters are kept in place with rigging of some kind, which must be edited out during post-production. Other times, the sketch just requires green screen or effects that can't be produced in camera is as seen on the set for a sketch featuring the nerd. They shoot 12 to 15 episodes at the same time. We used to shoot one episode at a time. Now we shoot 12 to 15, Root said. We don't start building puppets and sets until we're on script 5 or 10. This helps the team determine which sets and characters can be used in multiple episodes on the same shoot day in order to be more efficient. Crowd scenes are the worst. Without major digital intervention, crowd scenes mean a lot of characters need to be created and animated. But there is a workaround. We're doing a 300 scene right now, Shepard said. And we have eight Spartan warriors, and we made 50 of them by shooting them multiple times. Each character will usually have six or seven sets of hands. In order to animate hand gestures, characters will need a set of at least six different hand positions. And yes, that almost always includes one flipping the middle finger. Clothing and capes have to be animated, too. You might not think of this while you're watching, but every time a character moves, their clothes do, too. That means that a character's clothing has to be able to move and then stay static just as much as the character does. Things like superhero capes have to be slightly stiff and rigged with wires in order to get them to flap in the breeze. Doing a half-hour show like Supermansion is easier in some ways than Robot Chicken. The team is currently working simultaneously on another stop-motion show, Supermansion, which airs on Crackle. I think it's really liberating to have a 22-minute show with recurring characters because then the puppets can be built in a way that they're really, really expressive, Root said of the experience. Sure enough, when watching Supermansion, you'll likely notice a lot more detail in each character since they won't just be used for one sketch and then put in storage. And you'll see a lot of crazy, random stuff lying around Stupid Buddy Studios. That includes a container of eyeballs, a literal bag of plastic dicks, miniature versions of the Property Brothers, tiny Seth Green figures, piles of heads that look like Harv, and a lot more. Yeah, Robot Chicken to me is just... I mean, and I've seen a few episodes where they make fun of a lot of things I like. I know they made fun of... I mean, gosh, what haven't they made fun of? I know they've made fun of Big Brother, American Idol. I, yes, the Property Brothers. I mean, what, I, seriously, I, it's hard to think what haven't they made fun of. And even when it's something you like, it's just, it's so funny 
to me it is. I mean, I like that kind of humor. think a lot of people just find it stupid. And yeah, it's stupid, but it's so stupid, it's funny. So we're going to move on now to Netflix's BoJack Horseman. I have never seen this one yet. And eh, it's been on my list ever since I got Netflix. And now that it, it's been on since 2004 and it ended last year in 2020. And I don't know if I'll ever get around to it. Um, BoJack Horseman is an American adult animated tragic comedy sitcom created by Raphael Bob Waksberg. It stars the voices of Will Arnett, Amy Sedaris, Allison Brie, Paul F. Tompkins, and Aaron Paul. Set primarily in Hollywood, the series tells the story of an anthropomorphic horse named Bojack Horseman, voiced by Will Arnett, the washed-up star of a 90s sitcom who plans his return to celebrity relevance with an autobiography to be written by ghostwriter Di Diane Nguyen, voiced by Brie. He also has to contend with his agent Princess Carolyn, voiced by Sidaris, roommate Todd Chavez, voiced by Paul, and former rival Mr. Peanut Butter, voiced by Tompkins, as well as his struggles with depression and addiction. The show is designed by cartoonist Lisa Hanawalt, who has been friends with Bob Waksberg since high school and had previously worked with him on the webcomic Tip Me Over, Pour Me Out. The series premiered on Netflix on August 22, 2014. In September of 2018, Netflix renewed the show for its sixth and final season, and the series ended on January 31, 2020, with a total of 77 episodes. The first five seasons consist of 12 episodes each, while the sixth and final season consists of 16 episodes, divided into two parts of eight episodes each. A one-off Christmas special was also released on December 19, 2014. Despite mixed reviews upon its debut, critics were significantly more positive towards the second half of the first season, and the subsequent seasons received widespread critical acclaim. GQ magazine hailed the show as one of the best of the decade, and IndieWire ranked BoJack Horseman as the greatest animated television series of all time. The show has been lauded for its realistic take on depression, trauma, addiction, self-destructive behavior, racism, sexism, sexuality, and the human condition. The series received numerous accolades, including four Critics' Choice Television Awards for Best Animated Series, three Annie Awards, and two Writers Guild of America Awards. It also received three Primetime Emmy Award nominations, including two for Outstanding Animated Program. The series is set in an alternate world where humans and anthropomorphic animals live side by side, taking place mostly in Hollywood and Hollywood. The name is changed after the D is stolen from the sign. Bojack Horseman is the washed-up star of the 90s sitcom Horsin' Around, which centered around a young bachelor horse trying to raise three human children who had been orphaned. Now living in relative obscurity in his Hollywood Hills mansion, Bojack plans a monumental comeback to celebrity relevance with a tell-all autobiography to be written by ghostwriter Diane Nguyen. At the same time, he deals with his addiction to drugs, alcohol, and the resulting recklessness. 
Bojack also has to contend with the demands of his agent and former girlfriend, Princess Carolyn, the misguided antics of his freeloading roommate, Todd Chavez, and his former rival, Mr. Peanut Butter. Will Arnett as Bojack Horseman is a self-loathing, cynical, alcoholic horse currently in his 50s whose acting career peaked when he starred in a successful 90s family sitcom called Horsin' Around. Though he began as a young, bright-eyed actor, he has since grown bitter, deeply depressed, and jaded towards Hollywood and who he has become post-fame. Bojack has been shown to be caring and insightful, but his insecurities, loneliness, desperate need for approval, and guilt over his own actions often result in self-destructive and selfish actions that devastate those around him. His past and present relationships with his bitter alcoholic mother and abusive alcoholic father and his attempts at overcoming their legacy are a continual theme of the series. Bojack also discovers he has a more sensible half-sister, Hollyhock, a result of an affair by his father. Allison Brie as Diane Nguyen is a human ghostwriter, a well-schooled, misunderstood intellectual, and a Vietnamese-American third-wave feminist from Boston. She is a thinker who wants to make the world a better place for women and wants others to behave according to her morals, even though she often breaks them. While writing Bojack's memoir, Diane and Bojack develop a strong friendship that initially becomes awkward and strained after Bojack develops romantic feelings for her, especially as she was dating Mr. Peanut Butter at the time. She eventually marries Mr. Peanut Butter, but during and after Mr. Peanut Butter's run for governor of California, their marriage begins to deteriorate and they divorce at the beginning of season 5. She eventually realizes she is suffering from depression and gains weight as her mental health improves due to antidepressants. News media commented on the series' realistic portrayal of her changing body shape as a sign of improved health. During the sixth season, Diane develops a relationship with a buffalo named Guy, who she goes on to wed, and comes to terms with her neglectful upbringing. She is a graduate of Boston University. Paul F. Tompkins as Mr. Peanut Butter is an energetic, optimistic, and cheerful yellow Labrador retriever who is Bojack's former sitcom rival. Mr. Peanut Butter was the star of Mr. Peanut Butter's house, which, according to Bojack, borrowed the premise from Horsin' Around. Despite the rivalry, Mr. Peanut Butter cares a great deal about Bojack's opinion and admires him for his work on Horsin' Around. He has an especially good relationship with Todd, and his positive attitude and financial resources combined with Todd's outlandish schemes and plans often results in the two starting questionable business ventures. Mr. Peanut Butter has been married three times to Katrina Peanut Butter, Jessica Beale, and Diane Nguyen. An old acquaintance, it is revealed that Mr is his actual first name. He is a graduate of Northwestern University and a native of Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. His character was initially created as a foil for Bojack, but then evolves into an important character himself. 
Aaron Paul is Todd Chavez, is an unemployed, unintelligent, but vastly talented 24-year-old human slacker who ended up at Bojack's house for a party of five years, for a party, excuse me, five years before the beginning of the series and never left. Although Bojack constantly voices disdain for him, he secretly cares about Todd, continuing to financially support him and sabotage his attempts to gain independence. Todd has been shown to possess a plethora of skills, including an understanding of Japanese entrepreneurial know-how, allying with Mr. Peanut Butter for various business ideas, and writing and composing his own rock opera, which was eventually sabotaged by Bojack. This, along with other examples of Bojack's poor behavior towards him, leaves Todd to break ties with Bojack in Season 4. Todd also has an uncanny knack for getting himself in absurd and extremely dangerous situations when his friends aren't around, such as getting into gunfights on several occasions, ending up in prison, and in one case switching places Prince and the Pauper style with the Cordovian dictator. He is also almost never seen without wearing a signature yellow beanie. In his teenage years, he was an aimless skateboarder and the object of affection of his schoolmate, Emily. He realizes in the season 3 finale that went well that he is asexual. In season 6, Todd forms a relationship with a rabbit named Maud who is also asexual. And Amy Sedaris's Princess Carolyn is a pink Persian cat who is Bojack's agent in the first 3 seasons and former on and off girlfriend. Hailing from Eden, North Carolina, the earnest and unflagging Princess Carolyn was a top agent at Vigor Agency through her tireless pursuit of new talent and large network of odd personal connections. Though she struggles to find a balance between work, her troubled personal life, and taking care of Bojack and her friends, she enjoys her fast-paced, hectic lifestyle. She left Vigor to start a new agency with her then-boyfriend and co-worker, co-worker Rutabaga Rabidowitz. After recognizing his lack of trustworthiness and confronting her fear of being alone, she ultimately decides to leave him and run the new company named Vim by herself. After several setbacks, Princess Carolyn closes Vim in season three, only to reopen it as a management agency. She struggles throughout the series in starting a family and suffers several miscarriages. In season five, after several failed attempts, she successfully adopts a baby porcupine from Sadie, a young woman from her hometown. In the series finale, she gets married to Judah, her loyal assistant. Creator Raphael Bob Waksberg has cited the cynical humor in the Canadian show The Newsroom as a large influence on Bojack Horseman. He also praised The Simpsons as an influence for being able to tell sad stories without sacrificing humor. Based on storyline similarities and graphical nuances, the series has been said to have influences deriving from Californication, Two and a Half Men, and Daria. In September 2018, before the show's fifth season was released, Bob Waksberg stated that the show's ten biggest influences were The Simpsons, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Archer, Animaniacs, Daria, The Tick, Pixar Animation Studios, Futurama, South Park, and the works of Don Hertzfeldt. Since its first season, Bojack has addressed many hot-button socio-political issues. 
Its creator, Raphael Bob Waksberg, once said that he considered the concept of political correctness something that other comedians and media creators should view as more of a responsibility. In a 2017 interview with Vice, he said, I think most people who argue for what you might call political correctness are not actually arguing for censorship. They're arguing for self-control and self-restraint. They're arguing for people to be conscious of the power they have, right? And I believe that I have a lot of power as someone making popular entertainment. I do think we have to be careful about the art we put out. A notable example is the episode Hank After Dark, Season 2, Episode 7, commonly referred to as the Cosby episode, which follows Diane and Bojack on a book tour as they field questions regarding allegations that have just surfaced about a comedy legend, Hank Hippopopolis. In the episode Brap Brap Pew Pew, Season 3, Episode 6, Diane accidentally announces she is getting an abortion via pop starlet Sextina Aquafina's Twitter account, and Hollywood gets swept up and talks about the practice. The Season 4 episode, Thoughts and Prayers, took a similar satirical approach towards the frequency of mass shootings and the gun debate in America after Diane fires a gun for the first time and one of Princess Carolyn's projects gets caught in the crossfire, launching a debate on whether or not women should own and use guns. The fifth season has been praised for its handling of sexual harassment and powerful men following the Me Too movement. Emily Vanderwerf wrote that it just might be the best artistic rumination on Me Too and an age of terrible men yet. The show also explores Todd Chavez's open asexuality, which is addressed throughout the latter three seasons. In the last episode of the third season, Todd says, I'm not gay. I mean, I don't think I am, but I don't think I'm straight either. I don't know what I am. I think I might be nothing. In season six, Todd forms a relationship with Maud, a rabbit he meets on the asexual dating app Emily created, all about that ace. BoJack Horseman has been considered by multiple critics to be one of the best animated shows of all time. It had received acclaim during its run for existential plot lines and realistic take on depression, drug addiction, alcoholism, and celebrity status. Its ensemble cast has been lauded for their voice performances with many characters drawing influences to shows like Big Mouth and Broad City. BoJack Horseman has contributed to the rise of the SADCOM, a tragic comic format that balances humor and sadness. And from Mental Floss, BoJack Horseman surprised viewers and critics with its gradual dive into the depression of an anthropomorphic horse that used to be the star of a banal early 90s TGIF-type sitcom. On the series, the town of Hollywood is made up of both humans and talking animals full of hopes, dreams, and regrets. Will Arnett stars as the voice of the titular equine who, at the beginning of season three, is faced with the consequences of getting what he wants, legitimate acting recognition for playing the lead in a movie about his hero, Secretariat. Breaking Bad star Aaron Paul plays Bojack's human roommate Todd, Amy Sidara stars as Bojack's agent, Princess Carolyn, and Allison Brie portrays Bojack's ghostwriter Diane Nguyen. 
Bojack Horseman's creator and production designer have been friends since high school. Bojack Horseman creator Raphael Bob Waksberg and production designer producer Lisa Hanawalt met in a high school theater class coming up with ideas for TV shows. Even while still in high school, Bob Waksberg had anthropomorphism on the brain. It was there that he wrote a play about a boy with udders who just wanted to fit in. While the two were in college, they teamed up to make a webcomic titled Tip Me Over, Pour Me Out. Years later, while Hannah Watt was becoming a regular James Beard Award finalist for her illustration collections of characters with animal heads on human bodies, Bob Waksberg was living like his future creation Todd in a small bedroom that was more of a closet in a big, beautiful Hollywood Hills house, formerly owned by Johnny Depp. It gave him the idea of coming up with a character who had every success he could have wanted and still couldn't find a way to be happy, someone who felt simultaneously on top of the world and so isolated and alone. Since the two had always wanted to collaborate on a television project, Bob Waksberg proposed combining his feeling of isolation with Hannah Walt's drawings. Some BoJack Horseman characters are modeled on Raphael Bob Waksberg and Lisa Hanawalt's former classmates. One day, Bob Waksberg asked Hanawalt, Oh, do you remember that girl who was in our English class senior year of high school? Draw her, but as a dolphin. Sextina Aquafina, singer of My Clitoris is Ginormous, was born. None of BoJack Horseman's characters have tails. Despite the fact that about half of the characters in the BoJack Horseman universe are animals, none of them have tails. That's a decision production designer and co-producer Hannah Walt made early on. I've drawn a couple animal people with tails in my personal work, but it makes more sense to draw them without, and I'm not sure why, she told Business Insider in 2015. The only minor exception is in the season 2 episode Escape from L.A., which features a scorpion with its trademark stinger as a prom DJ. So he's got this big tail thing, but I rationalize it by saying it's coming out of his upper back, Hannah Waltz told Business Insider. Bojack himself was fairly easy to come up with. Bob Waksberg doesn't remember where he got the name of his protagonist. Bojack just sounded like a horse name to me, he said. I don't know where I heard it or how I came up with it. Hanawal claimed that Bojack Horseman was one of the easiest characters to design, quickly picturing the sweater, the shoes, and his grumpy expression as soon as Bob Waksberg described him to her. Bojack Horseman's human characters were the hardest to create. For Hannah Walt, Diane and Todd were the hardest characters to create. Humans are generally much trickier to draw because we're so used to looking at and analyzing human faces, she said. The slightest tweak makes a huge difference in how we perceive that character. Todd went through dozens of variations before we got him right, and then we changed him even more. Todd Chavez is one of the first openly asexual characters on television. Todd Chavez is of very few television characters to use the word asexual to refer to himself, a development some critics have described as revolutionary. Other television characters who openly identify as asexual include Brad, a background character in Faking It, Valentina Voodoo Donacci in Sirens, 
Lord Varys on Game of Thrones, and Florence, a minor character in Netflix's Sex Education. Bojack Horseman's Running Zoe, or Zelda Gag, was based off of a Tia and Tamira observation. The Zoe-Zelda thing in Season 1 came from a Tia and Tamira observation I've had for a while, Bob Waksberg admitted. Back in 2010, he wrote on his Tumblr that he was a Tia despite his many Tamira qualities, and later that he was a Zoe with some very Zelda qualities. One BoJack Horseman episode was based off an unused Curb Your Enthusiasm script. Let's Find Out was based off of a Curb Your Enthusiasm spec script by BoJack writer Peter Knight. In his script, Larry David appears on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with Ron Howard. When Ron Howard admits he doesn't know who Larry David is, David pretends to not know who Howard is and deliberately blows the game. And let's find out, Bojack goes on the Mr. Peanut Butter hosted Hollywood stars and celebrities, what do they know, do they know things, let's find out, and fumes over the fact that Daniel Radcliffe doesn't know who he is. In the end, Bojack pretends not to know who Radcliffe is, losing the game. Radcliffe was a fan of BoJack Horseman, so he was written in as the celebrity on the game show. I've seen every version of a Harry Potter joke, and you guys wrote my favorite, Radcliffe told Bob Waksberg. And Raphael Bob Waksberg thinks BoJack Horseman still has a few seasons left in it. In an interview with Vulture, Bob Waksberg was asked whether he was surprised when Netflix announced that season six would be BoJack Horseman's last. His answer was somewhere between yes and no. I thought we'd go a couple more years, he said, but you know, it's a business. They've got to do what's right for them, and six years is a very healthy run for a TV show. Frankly, I'm amazed we got this far, so I can't complain. I think if we premiered on any other network or even on Netflix on any other time than when we did, I don't know if we would have gotten the second season. And I feel that's so very true. I feel like so many TV shows, it's like you anticipate if there's even going to be a season two and then after season two you're like okay yeah you know most tv shows just don't even make it this far it's like i'm surprised when tv shows get beyond a third season especially today it's like sitcoms back in the day you know i mean gosh like look at things like roseanne that had nine seasons frazier had 11 seasons married with children had 11 seasons bewitched had eight seasons all in the family had nine seasons so you know it's like shows that lasted such a long time you know like back then you know, maybe it was normal to have like beyond five seasons. Now it's like a lot of shows are only lasting two, three seasons, if that. So yeah, you know, I can kindly totally feel that, yeah, six seasons is a great run for a current TV show, no matter what network you were on. And I feel like Netflix is pretty good with most popular shows, you know, giving them at least three, four, five seasons max. Um, so, yeah, but it's like, I was kind of thinking about that, you know, a couple weeks ago. I was like, whenever they announce, like, whether a show is going to be canceled or not, 
like, you know, there's shows like Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist got canceled after two seasons. Good Girls is another one I enjoy watching, which has four seasons and was up in the air for a long time, and now it got canceled, and four seasons is quite a long time. Manifest, you know, popular show, but third season is its last. I was really happy and surprised that The Good Doctor is getting a fifth season. Never thought that would happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, and a lot of sitcoms, you know, maybe it's because they do poorly in ratings, especially these days. I feel like a lot less people don't watch a lot of the sitcoms. Um, and then they get, you know, canceled after only one season. Um, but still, I just wish that TV shows like even though the ratings are poor in the first season, I feel like it should get a second season to kind of give it a chance because I feel like a lot of people probably, it could seem that way because I feel like a lot of people, like myself included, I wait until the next day when it's on Hulu or if it's a show like I have to wait till like Shameless, I'm waiting for the final season of it. And that's another show that lasted a long time, 11 seasons. Um, I'm waiting for the final season to come on Netflix. So I think a lot of people, you know, don't really get the opportunity to watch live TV. And so I'm wondering if that affects ratings as well. So just a thought. But anyway, yes, you know, I think like back to sitcoms back then versus now. Yes, they were more popular back then, but even still, a lot of the drama series, they just, they don't last like they used to. Next up now, we're going to move on to the Boondocks. And you know, okay, I got to say, this is really funny because I've never seen the Boondocks, but ever since I've been doing this and like reading about this show, there's an old 60s song by Billy Joe Royal called Down in the Boondocks. Maybe some of you know it. Um, so now every time I come across like the Boondocks, I just get that song stuck in my head. So I don't know, just thought it was kind of funny I would mention that. Um, the Boondocks was on from 2005 to 2014. And it's an American animated sitcom created by Aaron McGruder for Cartoon Network's late night programming block Adult Swim. It is based upon his comic strip of the same name. The series premiered in November of 2005. The show begins with the black family, the Freemans, settling into the fictional friendly and overall white suburb of Woodcrest. The perspective offered by this mixture of cultures, lifestyles, social classes, stereotypes, viewpoints, and racialized identities provides for much of the series' satire, comedy, and conflict. The Boondocks began as a comic strip on Hitlist.com, one of the first music websites. The strip later found its way into the Source magazine. Following these runs, McGruder began simultaneously pitching the Boondocks as both a syndicated comic strip and an animated television series. The former goal was met first, and the Boondocks debuted in newspapers in April of 1999. 
In the meantime, the development of the TV series continued. McGruder and film producer-director Reginald Hudlin, president of entertainment for BET from 2005 to 2008, created a boondocks pilot for the Fox network, but found great difficulty in making the series acceptable for network television. Hudlin left the project after the Fox deal fell through, though McGruder and Sony Television were contractually obligated to credit him as an executive producer for the first two seasons. Mike Lazo, president of Adult Swim and executive producer for Aqua Teen Hunger Force and Space Ghost Coast to Coast, stumbled across the pilot and declared it too networky. He then ordered a 15-episode season and told McGruder to just tell stories. The series has a loose connection with the continuity of the comic strip, though during the final year of the strip, McGruder made a point to try to synchronize them. He introduced Uncle Ruckus into the strip, and the comic strip version of Riley's hair was braided into cornrows to match the character's hair in the series. During season one, McGruder put the strip on a six-month hiatus beginning in March 2006. He did not return to the strip the following November, and the strip syndicate, Universal Press Syndicate, announced that it had been canceled. The opening theme song used in the series, slightly remixed for seasons two and three, is performed by hip-hop artist Asheru. The series was produced in widescreen since the beginning, but the image was cropped to accommodate the 4 to 3 aspect ratio at the time of their original broadcast, as well as reruns. Adult Swim rarely crops widescreen material. Since the third season, the series has been produced in 16 to 9 high, 9 excuse me, high definition and presented in its original aspect ratio resolution. In 2014, it was announced that Magruder would not be involved in the show's fourth season. Adult Swim stated a mutually agreeable production schedule could not be determined. The season premiered on April 21, 2014, ending its run in June of 2014. At Annecy 2019, Sony Pictures Animation announced it would be producing a reimagining of the television series. In June of 2019, a reboot of the series was officially announced with McGruder and voice actor John Witherspoon confirming to be returning from the original series before his death on October 29, 2019. In September 2019, it was announced that the reboot will stream on HBO Max in fall 2020, but this has been seemingly postponed due to COVID-19 until 2022. The service has ordered two seasons, 24 episodes total, with a 50-minute special. The complete run of the original 2005 series was also made available on the service. The series opens with the Freemans settling into the fictional, peaceful, and mostly white suburb of Woodcrest. Evidence for the real-world location of the fictional Woodcrest is mixed. Proponents of the Chicago Southside theory cite the real-life suburb of Crestwood, Illinois, and the similarity of the two names. The first season features several Chicago landmarks, a skyline shot showing the Willis Tower, Grant Park, buildings of the Michigan Avenue Historic District, and Lake Michigan, as well as elevated rapid transit endemic to the city, resembling the Chicago L. 
more conclusive evidence is presented in the trial of Robert Kelly, in which Riley asks Grandad, can you take us into the city tomorrow to watch the R. Kelly trial? Grandad denies his request and tells him to walk, and Riley, Riley replies, but it's 40 miles. R. Kelly is from Chicago, and his trial was held there, giving more evidence that the boondocks is in fact set in Illinois. Another reference to the Chicago is Martin Luther King Drive, a major street running through South Chicago, mentioned for its violent activity in the ninth episode of season one, Return of the King. Additionally, in Let's Nab Oprah, Ed Wunkler III, Gin Rummy, and Riley go to Oprah Winfrey's television studio in an attempt to kidnap her. The Oprah Winfrey show was recorded at Harpo Studios in near West Side Chicago. Proponents of the Columbia, Maryland theory cite other evidence, such as Magruder's own childhood there, where his father worked for the National Transportation Safety Board. In the comics, Huey's cell phone number has a 443 area code, which belongs to the Baltimore metropolitan area. In Wingman, the Freemans fly home to Chicago, where they lived before moving to Woodcrest, to attend a funeral. In the fried chicken flu, a reporter on a passing television screen reports on the titular disease's effect on the state of Maryland. In addition, in season four's first episode, Pretty Boy Flizzy, a man references an upcoming concert at Woodcrest Post Pavilion, which may be a play on Columbia's notable concert venue, Meriwether Post Pavilion. The characters in the boondocks are as follows. Huey Freeman is voiced by Regina King and is a 10-year-old in the family's moral compass and voice of reason. He is an intelligent, wise-beyond-his-years avid reader who is knowledgeable about, about a variety of subjects. He is heavily influenced by the theories of various left-wing social movements and social justice leaders. His brother and grandfather constantly ridicule and underestimate him, thinking he is a fool to have goals and values that aim higher than the expectations of mainstream American culture. It is mentioned that he has been declared a domestic terrorist. While he promotes various social causes, he is openly contemptuous of urban gangster rap and hip-hop as portrayed in mainstream media for glamorizing wasteful extravagance, self-defeating lifestyles, and ignorance. Huey, unlike the other characters, rarely smiles. In the episode Let's Nab Oprah, he smiles after his duel with Riley. He also smiles when Riley begins to win basketball games and balling. He is a highly skilled kung fu fighter and beats Riley with ease in all of their fights. He has only lost to a few opponents. Riley Freeman is also voiced by Regina King and is Huey's mischievous, rebellious eight-year-old brother, an enthusiastic follower of urban gangster rap and hip-hop. Though he is otherwise charming, clever, and artistically gifted, Riley maintains loyalty to those gangster rap ideals, even in the face of their self-destructive consequences. In the fundraiser, Huey tries to warn him directly about the foregone conclusions of his poor decisions, but Riley offhandedly rebuffs him. The bulk of the series focuses on Riley's misadventures, most of which are fueled by his love of gangster rap and a desire to emulate other people he admires, or on his various outlandish schemes, which his grandfather often endorses and aids. 
Despite his wild nature and attempts to appear tough, Riley occasionally shows a softer, innocent side. While his brother practices martial arts, Riley is skilled in street fighting, as shown in Home Alone and Smoking with Cigarettes. And Robert Jebediah Grandad Freeman is voiced by John Witherspoon and is the grandfather and legal guardian of Huey and Riley. While he loves his two grandsons, he sometimes explodes in tirades of angry frustration over their wisecracking observations, constant schemes, and misadventures, although he has his own moments. For instance, his eagerly misguided dating pursuits unwittingly attract bizarre or dangerous women. According to Season three's It's a Black President, Huey Freeman, nobody knows exactly how old Robert Freeman is, not even himself. Robert often threatens to discipline his grandsons, mainly Riley, with Three Stooges-style corporal punishment and has developed a remarkable degree of speed and dexterity in wielding his belt for this purpose. He was an avid civil rights activist during his salad days. The Boondocks deals with a lot of social critiques, um, including political criticism. The Boondocks gives commentary on American politics from a black perspective. The series accomplishes this by using satire and controversial statements, such as one of the opening lines in the series, Jesus was black, Ronald Reagan was the devil, and the government is lying about 9-11. The show has also given input on subjects like the American government's response to Hurricane Katrina, the Iraq War, and other controversial political events that took place throughout the 2000s. When asked about the show and the approaches taken that make it so controversial, series creator Aaron McGruder said, I just hope to expand the dialogue and hope this show will challenge people to think about things they wouldn't normally think about or think about in a very different way. Also, Black Cultural Relevance and Critique this series typically features appearances by well-known entities, singer, rappers, public figures, within black popular culture, as well as parodies of them. Episodes often feature cameos, as in the episode Let's Nab Oprah, which features appearances from Oprah Winfrey, Maya Angelou, and Bill Cosby. Other appearances and parodies within the show include R. Kelly on trial for sexual misconduct accusations, DMX's disbelief when told about Barack Obama running for president in an interview, and an episode that mimicked Juice. The series also parodies famous news reports, including a broadcast in which a freshman in high school was called a nigga by his teacher, who thought the word was acceptable to use. The Boondocks recreates this incident with Riley and his teacher. The series often challenges the ways African Americans behave and think. It has used sardonic humor to teach lessons and get people thinking since it was a comic strip, critiquing the behavior of famous African Americans throughout the early 2000s. McGruder was interviewed by Nightline in early 2006 on the episode Return of the King, which sparked much controversy after Martin Luther King Jr. was portrayed reprimanding a crowd of African Americans for being lazy and unaware of their political climate. In the interview, McGruder said, In the episode, King is critical of our apathy and inactivity. We carry the blame of our own apathy and inactivity. We deserve to take a look at that and be honest about it. And, of course, there is the use of the word. And, again, no offense to anybody, okay? 
remember I am just read I read and I take notes on what is said. I don't mean this as any kind of harm or disrespect to anybody. Um, so I just want everybody to know that that is why on most of these episodes, I am stating that there is very explicit content because there's a lot of sexual words, there's a lot of swear words, and there may be a lot of offensive words to some. So I just want to put that out there. I am just reading this as it is, so it kind of makes more sense to people. Okay, but I don't want to offend or hurt anybody's feelings. So let's just keep that in mind, okay? Um, so the use of the word nigga. The boondocks is known for its frequent usage of the word nigga, which has been a source of controversy for the show throughout its tenure. Magruder once said about the word, I think it makes the show sincere. The word nigga is used so commonly now, not only by myself, but by people I know, that I feel it's fake to write around it and not use it. He also said in a 2005 ABC News article, this isn't the nigga show. I just wish we could expand the dialogue and evolve past the same conversation that we've had over the past 30 years about race in our country. The Boondocks has received critical acclaim. In January 2006, it was nominated for Outstanding Comedy Series at the 37th NAACP Image Awards alongside The Bernie Mac Show, Everybody Hates Chris, Girlfriends, and Half and Half. The show won a Peabody Award in 2006 for the episode Return of the King. The first season garnered positive reviews, having a score 72 out of 100 on Metacritic based on 21 reviews. IGN named it the 94th best animated series, describing it as a sharp, satirical look at American society. Critic Jeffrey M. Anderson of the San Francisco Examiner said, Each episode is beautifully crafted with an eye on lush, shadowy visuals and a pulsing, jazz-like rhythm. The show is almost consistently funny, consistently brilliant, and, best of all, compulsively watchable. Mike Hale of the New York Times has considered the boondocks among the top television shows of 2010, citing, Pause as a painfully funny satire of Tyler Perry being portrayed as a superstar actor and a leader of a homoerotic cult. In 2013, IGM placed the Boondocks as number 17 on their list of top 25 animated series for adults. Said by Aaron McGruder during the series launch in 2005, this isn't the nigga show. I just wish we would expand the dialogue and evolve past the same conversation that we've had over the past 30 years about race in our country. I just hope to expand the dialogue and hope this show will challenge people to think about things they wouldn't normally think about or think about it in a very different way. The Boondocks has been a frequent subject of controversy since its comic strip debut in 99, with ABC News noting fans and critics of the Boondocks loved and hated the strip for the same reasons. It's cutting-edge humor and unapologetic, sometimes unpopular views on various issues, including race, politics, the war on terrorism, and the September 11th attacks. Numerous outlets predicted the show would encounter controversy prior to its November 2005 debut, 
due to its casual use of the word nigga. According to an article in the Washington Post, references, references to Rosa Parks were removed from one of the series' first completed episodes within a week of her death. In 2006, the Reverend Al Sharpton protested the first season episode Return of the King for Martin Luther King Jr.'s character's use of the word nigga, saying, Cartoon Network must apologize and also commit to pulling episodes that desecrate black historic figures. Cartoon Network released a statement in response defending Magruder. We think Aaron Magruder came up with the thought-provoking way of not only showing Dr. King's bravery, but also of reminding us of what he stood and fought for, and why even today it is important for all of us to remember that and to continue to take action, the statement said. The episode was later awarded a Peabody Award for being an especially daring episode. And from Complex, written by France Roker, 10 Things the Boondocks Have Taught Us About Life. We have gone through many hilarious adventures with the Freeman family, from granddad's romantic failures with women trained in shadow martial arts to Riley spearheading the job to kidnap Oprah. Laughs aside, the Boondocks were not without its educational reflective moments. Robert Freeman's Wingman episode took an incisive look at pettiness at the cost of friendship. Riley's athletic arrogance gave an honest take about ego and entitlement in young athletes. And of course, we may have all been indicted in our unconditional acceptance of R. Kelly. Even Thugnificent's rise and fall was both hysterical but hard look at the fickleness of fame and fortune in the rap game. How to Avoid a Moment Peace. If there is anything we could take from those highly enjoyable but scathing episodes featuring the blind spreader of hate, Colonel H. Stinkmeaner, uh, voiced by Cedric Yarbrough, we have all spotted that moment of irrational confrontation between black folks. And the rest, and the best way to avoid those moments is to get a, get along. Even Huey Freeman needed a couple of visits from the ghost Dini to get it. Since we're still seemingly never on the verge on that harmonious reality, the best some of us can do is getting caught in escalating others' petty conflicts. That is until we log on to a website like World Star Hip Hop. Yeah, we have a long way to go on this one. The game is rigged. Back in season one of The Boondocks, Jasmine, voiced by Gabby Solil, started a cute little stand to sell lemonade to residents of Woodcrest during a blistering summer, only to find herself in an eternal treadmill of work and low pay when she is bought out by corporate composite Mr. Wunkler, voiced by Edward Asner himself, who also owns virtually all real estate and business in the fictional town all the while cynically encouraging poor Jasmine to pull up her bootstraps. Sound familiar? And in the direction new government policy is going, things will only get worse. On a lighter note, the new J's are dropping soon. The difference between rich and broke is razor thin. Thugnificence, voiced by Carl Jones, 
Rags to Riches and Back to Rags story is one of the funniest arcs of the show, from having a jacuzzi in his living room to selling crack at one point and failing to do that. But its underscoring of the ignorant spending habits of rappers were very real. ESPN made a 30 for 30 documentary titled Broke, chronicling athletes who spent foolish heaps of cash on insane houses and cars, but are now, well, broke. Even to a smaller, more normal scale, many of us struggle to not splurge half our check on one supreme hat. Fundamentals are important. How can we forget when Riley, young Reezy Freeman, thought he was a superstar because he had unstoppable handles, then discovered the uselessness of these skills in an actual youth league when he realized he couldn't shoot? No one can afford to skip the fundamentals. A warning to the future NBA busts out there. The N-word problem will never go away. There was an episode in which Riley Freeman's teacher, Mr. Joe Petto, get it, decided to use the N-word to discipline him, claiming his reasoning for using the word was that the 8-year-old student used it all the time. Fast forward a few years, Richie Incognito used that same weak excuse to defend his actions against Jonathan Martin in the Miami Dolphins bullying case. This kind of thing won't be ending anytime soon. The only way to avoid those kinds of awkward moments of parties is to throw on some wholesome acts like Vandross on. Hey, the Luther had hits. We do love R. Kelly. Yeah, we do. As a population, black and white love R. Kelly. We all know the infamous R. Kelly episode that targets our love of the man's music over the serving of justice based on that infamous video footage of uh, unscrupulous showers. Huey was right. We haven't looked back since. The Pied Piper is still selling hundreds of thousands of records, gave us hours of joy with his Trapped in the Closet series. In fact, the new chapter should be returning to television, and it's going to be awesome. I suppose we have the power to forgive and forget. Yeah, that's it. Life is too short to hold grudges. It's better to stay a good friend, even if the other person seems determined to make that an impossibility. Granddad's ego throttling at the hands of his best friend Momo Guns Jackson, voiced by Mike Epps, also known as Mo Bitches, was as awful as it was hilarious. Mo's dying wish was to leave Granddad a, a jar of nuts, yelling D's nuts from a taped recording. But in the end, Granddad understood their friendship was worth preserving instead of complete alienation. Many of us have a mo bitches in our friend group that get on our nerves, but it's better to stick it out. Anybody funny enough to pull that kind of joke on you from beyond the grave is worth keeping as a friend. Naming a street after a famous black icon is probably a bad idea. If you've seen the infamous The Real episode in which Martin Luther King Jr. returns from a four-decade coma only to find society in complete disarray and rejects his community's offers to name a street after him, he points to every Malcolm X Boulevard, etc., earning rough reputations, a true phenomenon. We experienced a similar situation without the reincarnation when people suggested there be a street named after the notorious B.I.G., it's an idea we support, but with the grain of salt that if the initiative succeeded, it might go the other way of other streets named after other black icons. Black entertainment television is still not very good. 
The Boondocks episode criticizing BET rank among the funniest, but scathing in the collection, and for good reason. It took some pointing out to us in the fictional hip-hop smash booty butt cheeks playing on loop in the background, but we could all agree BET didn't have a single program of substance on the entire network. The station has made some improvements, but BET won't become the new AMC anytime soon. Never take a pimp's advice. The last time Tom Dubois, voiced by Cedric Yarbrough, took women, women advice from a pip named Slickback, he took a beat down from Usher and his bodyguards. Even Riley admitted that wasn't a good look. We agree. Don't take any kind of pep talk from a pimp unless it's where to find a good oversized zoot suit in the 21st century, in which case you should take out your notepad and jot down every address they spit out. Oh, and if they sound like they're talking fast, you're just listening slow. And then from Screen Rant, a few hidden details everyone completely missed in the original Boondocks series. The Boondocks was a smart, politically savvy, and funny cartoon series. These are some small details you may have missed. The Boondocks originally had an underground following, though by the end of the series it had a mainstream audience. An audience that comes to enjoy the in-your-face comedy that revolved around real-life issues in the African-American community. It was never accidentally controversial, but instead was disappointed when it wasn't. It was the series that spoke truth to power and delved into societal issues that other mainstream shows wouldn't even dream of touching. With news of a reboot, fans of the show are grateful that it is finally free after spending years in television purgatory. Till its return, let's discuss a few things you probably missed in the original. The Boondocks, the R. Kelly Prediction while The Simpsons has gained fame by predicting uncanny happenings in the future, it doesn't stand alone with eerie yet correct predictions. Three years before the actual trial of R. Kelly, which took place in 2008, the Boondocks parodied what would happen if he went on trial for his sexual misconduct with minors. In the series, even when R. Kelly is faced with insurmountable evidence showing he was guilty of the crime, the jury finds him innocent for no other reason than he is a celebrity. Three years after the episode aired, a real-life jury did the same. The Boondocks, Celebrities Who Audition to Voice Characters over its four-year run, the Boondocks had a considerable number of popular figures to add their voices to the show as guest characters and also as show regulars. Many of these voices fans might have missed altogether. Characters such as Buster Rhymes, Cat Williams, and Samuel L. Jackson all made voice appearances on the series. As interesting as the voice casting was, it should be noted that many other celebrities were not chosen for parts or just had their voice casting cut out completely due to time restraints. Here's looking at you, Ja Rule. Characters based off of politicians. The Boondocks never shied away from spouting its opinion over social and political issues of the day. Some of these opinions might have been construed as controversial, while some are just hard truths. That needed to be said by someone. 
The characters Ed Wunkler III and Jin Rummy were actually based off of the real-life political figures George W. Bush and Donald Rumsfeld. Wunkler's nickname W is George W. Bush's nickname, while Rummy's last name resembles that of Rumsfeld. Both were intended to be Easter eggs for fans of the show. Boondocks' Meaning while the show The Boondocks isn't shy about stating its agenda, the show's title has a meaning that few fans have probably noticed. The word boondocks originates from the Tagalog word bundok, which, when translated into English, means mountain. The word's origins when it comes to American culture stems all the way back to the Philippine-American War, where the word was brought back home by those serving during the skirmish. Like so many words before it, the word became a slang word that described a rural or suburban area. And executive producer voiced Thugnificent. Thugnificent was Riley Freeman's idol, a man who perpetuated everything he thought he was destined to be. While Riley's grandfather believed the rapper, who had just moved into the neighborhood, to be the bane of his existence with his loud parties and bad influence over his grandson. What many fans might not be aware of is that Thugnificent is voiced not by a rapper, but by the show's executive producer, Carl Jones. Jones, also, is the voice of another prominent Boondocks character, the Booty Warrior. While lending his voice talents to the show, he also produced 35 episodes. So, yeah, I mean, the Boondocks, I feel like, yeah, you may think it's a racist show, but reading into detail about a lot of it, it is very real what a lot of African Americans may face. And so, though it's racist, think of the type of culture that it is focusing on. So next up, we're going to talk about one of my favorites on Netflix, um, F is for Family. Um, it's been on since 2015, and this upcoming fifth season will be its final season. And I believe, if I'm right, it is coming out in December. F is for Family is an American adult animated streaming television series created by Bill Burr and Michael Price for Netflix. The show is produced by Gaumont International Television, Show Productions, and Vince Vaughn's Wild West Television. The show follows a dysfunctional suburban Irish-American family and is set in the fictional town of Rustvale, Pennsylvania in the early to mid-70s. The show premiered on December 18, 2015 to generally favorable reviews. In October 2020, the series was renewed for the fifth and final season. The main characters in F is for Family are Bill Burr as Francis Frank Murphy, a 39-year-old disillusioned, short-tempered, foul-mouthed Korean War veteran, husband of Sue Murphy, and father of four, who works as a baggage handler and eventually promoted to manager at the local airport. Burr also voices Father Pat. Laura Dern as Sue Murphy Nay Chilson, Frank's 36-year-old wife, mother of four, and a struggling entrepreneur. 
Justin Long as Kevin Murphy, Frank's slightly dim-witted 15-year-old oldest son, juvenile delinquent, and struggling guitarist. Kevin almost drowned in a motel pool as a child, an event that traumatizes him to this day. Long also voices Chuck Sowitzki and Phineas. Haley Reinhardt as Bill Murphy, Frank's meek, neurotic 12-year-old middle son who is cursed by multiple bullies. Haley Reinhardt also voices Frank Murphy as a child. Debbie Derryberry as Maureen Murphy, the 9-year-old second youngest child and eldest daughter of Frank and Sue Murphy, whom Frank always refers to as Princess. She's an intelligent and inquisitive young girl with a passion for computers. Despite her sweet demeanor around her parents, she is very unruly and often engages in reckless behavior and constantly antagonizes and tortures Bill. Debbie Derryberry also voices Philip Bon Bonfiglio, Babe and Marie's 11-year-old son and best friend of Bill. He has a complex caused by his controlling mother and shows subtle signs of repressed homosexuality. He also seems to be repressing his anger with violent and gruesome drawings. Kenny, a 10-year-old friend of Bill and Maureen and is the younger brother of Ben, and Bridget Fitzsimmons, Jimmy Fitzsimmons' 11-year-old younger sister and Bill's former love interest. Sam Rockwell as Vic Reynolds, a 30-year-old wealthy radio disc jockey who is addicted to cocaine. Despite his hedonistic lifestyle, he admires Frank for having a wife and children and is sincerely cordial towards him. Unbeknownst to him, however, his earnest attitude and way of life tends to rub Frank the wrong way. A few of the other recurring characters are Trevor Devil as a red as Red, a baggage handler and one of Frank's co-workers, and also Mr. Groomer, Frank's creepy voyeuristic friend and next-door neighbor and Evelyn's husband. Mo Collins as Jimmy Fitzsimmons, a delinquent teenager who frequently bullies Bill. He is shown to be scared of Kevin. And Claire, a teenage girl from the Murphys' neighborhood. Phil Hendry as Jim Jeffords, a smooth-talking television personality. And also Hobo Jojo, a hobo clown on the show to compete in the ring toss game, only to fail because of Jeffords' cheating. Kevin Michael Richards as Chauncey Rosie Roosevelt, Frank's African-American co-worker at Mohican Airways and newly elected alderman. David Kochner as Robert Bob Pogo Pogrovich, Frank's morbidly obese chain-smoking boss and friend. Kevin Farley as Carl, a baggage handler, Red's best friend, and one of Frank's co-workers. And also Babe Bonfiglio, a neighbor, one of Frank's friends, husband of Marie, and father of Philip and Anthony. Joe Buck is Lou Gagliardi, the president of the International Brotherhood of Baggage Handlers, Skycaps, Roadies, and Circus Roostabouts. He is also the current owner of Captain Chucklethrusts. Allison Janey is in seasons two to three as Henrietta Van Horn, the founder of Plastaware. Vince Vaughn in season three is Chet Stevenson, an Air Force veteran with untreated PTSD and an abusive personality who becomes a new neighbor of the Murphys. 
Jessica DeSico in season two is a haircut girl, a teenage girl only ever referred to as haircut girl due to the fact that she gives out free haircuts. And Cree Summer in season four as Daryl Roosevelt, Rosie and Georgia's son. The series has received generally positive reviews. On Metacritic, the first season holds a score of 75 out of 100 based on 14 reviews, indicating generally favorable reviews. On Rotten Tomatoes, the first season holds a rating of 85% based on 20 reviews with an average score of 6.5 out of 10. The site's critical consensus reads, while the humor relies on vulgarity, the strength of Ephes for Family is its substantial heart. The second season holds a rating of 89% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 7 based out of 9 reviews. The site's critical consensus reads, Ephes for Family is a little grouchier and wiser in its second season, evoking an era of American decay with warm pastel hues and articulating blue-collar angst through Bill Burr's blustery delivery. And on Looper, written by Mike Floorwalker in June of 2017... Netflix recently dropped the second season of its original animated series, F is for Family, created by comic Bill Burr and Simpsons writer Michael Price, and the response has been somewhat muted. The show, featuring the tribulations of the blue-collar Murphy family in the 70s, doesn't have quite as high a profile as some of the streaming service's other original offerings. But it should, on top of all that it has going for its own, it seems to be part of a larger trend in animated television, which is proving that the genre can have much more to offer than just laughs. Here's everything you probably don't know about F is for Family. It's the best animated show you've never heard of. If the show's title doesn't ring a bell, there may be more than one reason for that. For one thing, the title isn't exactly super catchy and doesn't explain much about the show beyond the fact that it's a family sitcom, unless you're the type of viewer whose mind leaps immediately to what else F could stand for. The first season, released in late 2015, consisted of a scant six episodes, not really a strong show of confidence on the part of Netflix, and received next to no marketing push. Subscribers who decided to check it out despite all this were treated to a series that's well-written, insightful, very funny, and very profane. The sixth episode wrapped up the miniseries arc nicely while still leaving viewers wondering what might happen next, but despite logging decent reviews, Netflix took longer than usual to address the show's future. The second season of F is for Family was finally announced in April of 2016, five months after the first season's premiere. It was released almost exactly a year later, again, absent the teasers and fanfare that typically greet a new season of a Netflix original. It has a unique production team. The production team behind the series isn't what you might expect. Wild West Productions only had one series credit to its name prior to F is for Family, the short-lived TBS series Sullivan and Son, but Burr found in them a team that could relate to the stories he wanted to tell, mainly the apparent odd couple pairing of Vince Vaughn and Peter Billingsley. 
Vaughn founded Wild West in 2005 and called Burr the funniest, most original voice out there in announcing their involvement. While Vaughn might seem like an appropriate choice to serve as producer, the same might not necessarily be said for Billingsley, a former child actor who is best known for playing Ralphie in the beloved 1983 classic A Christmas Story. He's maintained a low-key acting and producing career since that early highlight, perhaps most notably serving as an executive producer in the opening volley of the Marvel Cinematic Universe 2008's Iron Man. He also appears briefly as an actor. He's the engineer who is screamed at by Obadiah Stane after informing him that he's unable to duplicate Tony Stark's miniature arc reactor. It's based on Bill Burr's childhood. Burr and Price both grew up in the 70s and fondly remember what an awesome yet dangerous time it was to be a kid. Burr, who has been compared favorably to Louis C.K. and called the heavyweight champion of rage-fueled humor, is a veteran comic whose four successful Netflix specials made him a good choice to develop an original project for the service. Much of his stand-up material is mined from its rough childhood, particularly his father, whose angry outbursts he mimics mercilessly in his routines and upon whom F is for Family's lead character, Frank Murphy, is based. Many of the series' situations and gags come directly from specific incidents in Burr's childhood, and Price and other writers help to weave these recollections into the show's narrative. This lends the ring a truth to its sometimes outlandish interactions and plot developments, which children of the era will recognize as a byproduct of slightly more outlandish times. But it's not just a 70s show. A great deal of the show's humor comes from its setting from Frank's employer Mohawk Airlines with its casually racist TV ads to jabs at technology of the time, the family's expensive new television is a hulking behemoth with a tiny screen, to the presence of cigarette vending machines. But these all flow naturally from its blue-collar aesthetic, and Burr decided early on to resist the temptation to simply pepper the show with out-of-context 70s gags. Our mission statement was no lava lamps. They, the way a lot of shows have depicted the 70s is with a lot of lava lamps and people dressed like John Travolta on Saturday Night Fever, he said. We didn't want to do that. Instead, Burr and his writers populated the series with the main cast of characters that are strongly drawn. Despite being so recognizable, they border on stereotypes. Frank is a bitter underachiever with a crappy middle management job and a volcanic temper. Put-upon housewife Sue has only her side business selling rip-off Tupperware to fill the void. Older son Kevin smokes pot and aspires to prog rock stardom. Middle child Bill, Burr's surrogate, is a dorky, bullcut kid perpetually confused by life, and youngest child Maureen is somewhat creepy enigma. This could all be one-note characters, but sharp writing gives them all surprising depth, and a stellar voice cast doesn't hurt. Its voice cast is amazing. As Frank, Burr, as Frank, Burr brings every ounce of the vitriol his stand-up fans are accustomed to while still managing to sell his humanity, but his performance is bolstered by an 
enviable supporting cast who bring their full commitment to the material, particularly Justin Long, who is known for roles in films such as Jeepers Creepers and Kevin Smith's recent head-scratcher, Tusk. His portrayal of Kevin is alternately on the nose and surprisingly nuanced, as the character is slowly revealed to have depths beyond that of your average pot-smoking teen. Also noteworthy is Sam Rockwell, best known for his role as that guy you know in that movie. Seriously, he was in Moon, Frost Nixon, and Iron Man 2, to name a few, who channels Matthew McConaughey better than McConaughey himself could for his portrayal of laid-back neighbor Vic. Rounding out the cast are American Idol alumni Haley Reinhardt as Bill, veteran voice actor Debbie Derryberry, best known as the voice of Jimmy Neutron as Maureen, and Jurassic Park's Laura Dern as Sue. Burr said of his cast to Boston Magazine, They all come from like an acting perspective where they had to do a number of takes, and you felt with each take it became more and more not them and just this person. It was insane. I basically have a lot of talent around me propping me up. Don't tell anyone. It has an appropriate animation style. If some viewers experience slight pangs of weird recognition while watching F is for Family, it may be because its animation style has very specific influence appropriate to its setting. Its simple line drawing animation was meant to evoke the classic Hanna-Barbera cartoons of the 70s, and it can be a little jarring to see this familiar style used in the service of some highly inappropriate gags. But the animators also pointed to another strong influence on the show's look, King of the Hill. It's interesting to note that the long-running Fox animated series is perhaps the only other cartoon in which the action never once becomes overtly cartoonish. Either series could just as easily have been shot live action. Animators apparently took early note of this similarity and looked to King of the Hill for cues on how to nail this animated live action aesthetic. It's an incredibly black comedy. Bill Burr has used the words complete psychopath to describe his father during his stand-up act, and one gets the sense that he's only half-joking. Frank might not be a complete psychopath, but he certainly has more than his fair share of moments of misplaced hostility and blind, almost reflexive aggression. While his family's reactions to his outbursts and impulsive actions are generally played for laughs, the show is not afraid to explore how a lifetime of continuing disappointments and failures made Frank who he is, and its season-long arc format gives the writers plenty of space to do just that. The result is sometimes not pretty, but as volatile as the Murphy family dynamic can be, it's their solid underlying love for each other that pulls the show back when it's edging toward complete bleakness. There aren't many lucky breaks, financially or otherwise, to be had in the Murphy household, and its portrayal of financial struggles and parenting clashes can be brutally honest. But F is for Family also understands that if adulthood is a disappointing and scary place, childhood can be much, much more so. It may push the limits of good taste. In the 70s, before the internet was a twinkle in anyone's eye, children were often exposed to the ugly realities of adult life in a much more face-to-face -face fashion than today. F is for Family not only understands this, but goes the full distance in exploiting it in ways that are just as cringe-inducingly uncomfortable as they are shockingly funny. 
The third episode of season one, The Truff, let viewers know what they were in for in this regard. Bill is thrilled when he gets to accompany Frank to a football game, courtesy of Frank's boss and his club seats. But throughout the day, nearly everything that happens, from Frank's racism and refusing to help a stranded motorist to his blatant sucking up to his boss, keeps piling on to Bill's growing disillusionment. This culminates in Frank dismissively sending Bill off to the men's room unattended, an absolutely horrifying spectacle from which Bill comes away with a still full bladder and a thousand-yard stare. While hilarious, the sequence was an early illustration of the show's intention to not shy away from pointing out how careless adults can damage fragile young psyches, nor to use flagrant gross-out gags to do so. Amazingly, it's not even the worst experience of this type poor Bill has in the first season. It's also surprisingly pignant. In the same episode, Kevin, who was supposed to go to the game with Frank but is being punished, takes advantage of his dad's absence by going off to smoke pot with some friends under a bridge. He brings along a record to roll joints on, which turns out to be an easy listening album his parents used to listen to every night like they were Mr. and Mrs. Liberace. He gripes about his hard-ass dad's punishment, but after he and his buddies are sufficiently high, looking at the album takes his memory back to an idolized version of his much more simple, happy childhood, animated in a distinctively 60s style that brings him to tears and softens his attitude towards Frank. It's a creative and memorable sequence that not only serves to show us that Kevin is a little more sensitive than we thought, but proves that there's a beating heart, not to mention a flair for the slightly dramatic, underneath the show's crassly funny exterior. That it shares all of these qualities with a couple of other recent animated series has not escaped the notice of some critics, and this may be a part of a trend that is just getting started. And it's part of a new breed of animation. It has been pointed out that F is for Family is somewhat of a companion piece to another Netflix series, BoJack Horseman, which somehow manages to blur the lines between absurdist comedy and psychological drama without being a tonal train wreck. While Family foregoes BoJack's absurdist elements in favor of a real-world setting, the series' ability to convincingly play dramatic scenes against comedic ones without suffering from tonal problems is extremely similar. Even before F is for Family was released, it was noted that Bojack shares this quality with another series that debuted around the same time, Adult Swim's Rick and Morty, which is perhaps even more absurd while bordering on nihilistic at times. This three series in particular seem to have cracked a certain code, though none of them approach it in the exact same way. The ability to give us wacky, surreal, profane, gut-bustingly hilarious animation that also allows us to examine the nature of such weighty concepts as morality, responsibility, and what it means to be a human being. F is for Family may be the least well-known of the three, but its first two seasons show a ton of potential, and it just might someday be recognized along with Rick and Bojack as part of the first wave of a new genre of animation altogether, one that aims to make us laugh, but also to think and to feel. And I think what kind of drew me to F is for Family is, I think it was basically the fact that it was an animated sitcom. And, you know, I'm just really drawn to that. And I have noticed, like, 
I was thinking, gosh, this really, the animation is so similar to King of the Hill. So I also did take note of that. But it's just interesting to see a sitcom that feels like so real, but it's animated. Just something about it kind of drew me to it. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of sad it's ending because I absolutely love it. Um, but I feel like it's hit or miss with animation shows.